Hey, welcome to the first official episode of the Namespace podcast. Hope you, hopefully, you turn, tuned in for episode zero where we introduced ourselves. Uh, for those of you that didn't, I'm Derek and this is my co host. I'm Jordan. And we're going to tackle a very important topic. Mm-hmm. Or at least we think it's important. Yes. <laughs> Something that we've both talked about uh, a lot. Uh, you want to introduce it? Sure. So yeah. the topic is. Should product owners know how to code or should they have some sort of technological background, um, some experience as a software developer? All right. What's your gut reaction? So my gut reaction is, yes, that sounds great. I would love to have a very technical product owner. Um, That's I mean, I, I eventually that's a path I'm considering. And right now as a software developer, I keep thinking, wow, all this um, I'm going to have all this knowledge of code and then become a software or become a product owner. And that'll be so helpful. But um, but of course, a lot of product owners don't have that background and there a lot of them are still great. So that's what we're we're going to talk about. So. My gut reaction was very much the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and I kind of group product owner, product management uh, together. I know they have separate function functions within the team. Uh, but for me, it, it was always, shouldn't these people have some sort of a technical background, whether it's uh, doing the design stuff or QA or engineering itself? Yeah. And uh, over the years... <clears throat> I have actually changed my opinion on that. And I, well, while I appreciate the ones that do, I don't think it should be any kind of a requirement or a need. And kind of the reasoning behind that, uh, especially within the av- agile, agile <laughs> methodology, um, what, what product ownership is supposed to be doing is describing the problem to the engineers uh so they should be working the problem space with uh desired outcomes in the solution space and not designing the solution for them and i feel like those with an engineering background tend to do more of the solution solving Mm. uh than working in the problem space and there's been a couple of instances uh recently even where I've seen where a solution was handed to engineers mm-hmm. uh, where the the engineers needed to kind of say no to it. Um, but product owners, you know, they get the last say in it and <laughs> it didn't end well. Well, I don't think it ended well because I didn't get my way and I'm <laughs> like that. Okay. <laughs> Right. Well, um, yeah, definitely. Whenever, whenever you're a product owner, your main goal is to write, you know, user stories based on what the customer is looking for. So new features or new, new things that the customer is interacting with and the customer isn't writing code. They don't care what the code looks like. They just want a feature. So it makes sense whenever you are, um, writing a user story to, to not solution to just say what is needed but that's I would say that's for the most part because um there's definitely a lot of tickets in our backlog that are um just tasks and tech debt and uh I would say like 
stories, I guess not stories, but um, just tickets in there that um, are don't involve the customer. And I guess in hindsight, it's like those aren't the ones that are usually written by the product owner. So, so right. is that... Well, so there's a question. Should all tickets be written by the product owner? Right. So... I, th- I think that um, all user stories where it is something that a customer is interacting with directly, I think it makes sense that the product owner would write all of those or at least approve them. Um, it maybe, maybe you have a conversation if you think of a feature that you think would be helpful. Um, but then when it comes to like, yeah, like tech debt sort of tasks, just like changing the way something was implemented or a refactor. If, if you have a product owner that's not very technical, it seems like, or even if you do have a product owner that's technical, it seems like those would be written by the team. Do you, what do you think? Oh, yeah. So, especially for tech debt things, the, yeah. the product owner is probably not looking at the code, not doing code reviews, any of that kind of stuff. It's not their uh, role or responsibility to do that. So, for them to effectively write the ticket, they couldn't, no matter what technical background they had or not. They're, so yeah, I don't have a hard, fast rule or like these types of tickets this person writes, these types of tickets that person writes. Mm-hmm. Uh, be, because you have situations where a product owner might be writing the, the spec for a public API or something like that. Uh, and they, kind of do need to know some engineering stuff. Yes. Like they need to know about response codes and when they should be returned, what this response code actually means. Um, you know, what's the proper use of a response code? Uh, one of the things I've seen engineers do before is return a response code for a specific exception. And that's not really what you're supposed to be doing. Right. Um, but, you know, it, it's one of those where the product owner should know uh, some technical stuff. But the, here I am saying I don't think that they they need to know it. Uh, and I guess the reason I'm saying that is in the agile ceremonies. Uh, and, and forgive me, I, I don't know all of like the actual names. You have the the retrospective, which is like the, the meta review of the whole sprint, the refinement which is Mm -hmm. where product ownership uh product management engineers sit down and like they're looking over the tickets they're Mm -hmm. uh assigning points to them whatever pointing system you've decided to use uh and i feel like at that time that's when the product owner has written the tickets uh described the problem that's being encountered and uh proposed a solution for it. Uh, And that's where engineering gets to say, well, that's not a solution that's going to work for X, Y, and Z, or, um, you know, that's a bad security practice, which is one that I saw uh, recently where product ownership got that ticket through. And, And it, you know, it's a partnership where product ownership won't need the technical background because during the the refinement that's when we are supplementing their knowledge of the system and the capabilities uh of our tech stack uh, and our platform so they they don't need any technical expertise but then the engineers also need to 
know how to speak product to the product owners as mm-hmm. well. Uh, otherwise, you have this massive disconnect, and that's how uh, you get behind on on things or security vulnerabilities come in. Uh, and then, God, what's that third ceremony? Sprints planning, which is mm-hmm. uh, when you break up and say, like, these are the things we can bring into a two-week sprint and all of that. Uh, and, and again, it's one of those cases where the product owner could really benefit from knowing how the system is architected and designed that knows, oh, well, I have to get this, uh, you know, repository in or something like that uh, before I can write the controller that's going to have to access that data. Um, But it's, again, engineering's in that meeting and they know how the system is designed and architected and so they should be providing that feedback as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think in in the perfectly well-oiled machine... Uh, product ownership isn't going to need any kind of technical expertise. Okay, I'm making up my hard fast rule. Here's my hard fast rule. Uh, and I'm going to experiment with it over the next few weeks. Maybe I'll report back how it works. Um, so, product ownership, uh, you know, doesn't need the technical expertise, but they write the tickets during sprint refinement, engineering supplements that. Uh, and during sprint planning, again, they supplement it by saying these are the things that have to come uh, first. Uh, and then any kind of tech debt task type work, uh, the, that the genesis of that work has come from a design decision or uh, technology change that the product owner wouldn't necessarily be aware of uh, would get written by engineering, but would still have to pass through the the eyes of product ownership to decide when that gets addressed. So I think that's my my hard fast. <laughs> I'm afraid to say that. Well, because it's difficult for a product owner to know how important um, some sort of task or tech debt is or how much benefit it's going to have without a technical background. Even if um, the engineers are explaining like, this is going to help us so much for these reasons, it will make this other ticket easier. Um, it's it'd still be nice for, for the product owner to have some sort of realization or some being able to agree because they agree versus just having to give in like, okay, well, if you guys say that you need to do this. Um, so I think, I think for that reason, it's nice. And, um, I I would say the important bit on that long rant I just had was, (laughs) uh, engineers need to be able to speak a little bit of product. Yes. And product ownership needs to be able to speak a little bit engineering, Mm -hmm. um, to, to really have an effective, mix no matter what your backgrounds are yeah so for 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 a while now we've been talking about writing the stories organizing the stories planning the sprint but another key um another key point of being a product owner is at the end of the sprint you are um saying like you look at the um you get the little demo right you get the little demo and you'd say yes like this was completed properly i like this um so I guess for the demo, those are only going to be um, like the user stories that the product owner writes, like we're talking about and for these tech debt things, they just get done and the product owner doesn't have to approve them then because they're not technical and 
they don't care as long as it's done. Is that kind of what you're thinking on that route? Because if, if the product owner is only writing stories that are less technical, then they should only have to approve those same stories. Uh, for, for tech debt especially, uh, regression tests should be your, <laughs> your approval process. Mm-hmm. Like if the regression tests pass, uh, assuming your regression tests are good, then okay, why do you need product ownership to go in and look at that? Right. Um, I guess that's also kind of the role of an architect on a team. Uh, I've heard it said that product ownership makes sure the right thing is built and a software architect makes sure the thing is built right. Um, And so if you really play to those strengths of those roles or the purpose of those roles. Uh, yeah, I guess the architect would have to be the one approving that, that a refactor or task was properly done. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that would happen not during the demo, but during the code review. Right. Yeah. So that's another, um, kind of another topic, like the role of the architect there. Cause, um, I mean, lately, at least on the team I'm on right now, uh, there's not really a strong architect presence. So when you're making like decisions like that, um, of course, there's some team discussion during the discussing the ticket and pointing it and sprint planning and whatnot. But um, but yeah, that's another interesting topic about how like the role of the architect and because there's, I guess, different types of architects, like ones that don't interact with the code at all. They just make sure that um, your services are laid out properly and interacting properly. But then like you're saying, there's people who might want to oversee the uh, the code structure and the different classes that you're using and different the design patterns maybe or just more, um, I guess, lo- lower level than just the um, the services you're using. Yeah, so for, for me, the architect is one of the most ambiguously defined roles because mm-hmm. uh, I have talked to I have talked to and worked with some architects who are uh, just some of the best coders that I've gotten to work with. Uh, very intelligent, very clean code, uh, understands everything about the system. Just a great technical depth. Uh, and even has great product knowledge uh, as to why they did all of this stuff. Um, and they're submitting PRs and things. And then I've also worked with and talked with a couple of architects who are like, oh, yeah, I just have a good concept of organization and designing things. And I've never written code like ever. <laughs> and if I had my preference, I'm going to take the guy that is highly knowledgeable in the technical aspects of everything uh but it's just one of those things it's like it's crazy how can you have an architect who doesn't write code (laughs) yeah that's that's a little bit more extreme than a product owner who doesn't write code to me because i i would say um kind of a similar bit there for me it's like i i I would probably prefer a product owner with more technical experience i feel like having those conversations maybe easier when you're trying to decide whether or not something is important enough to go into a sprint or if it should be moved up in the backlog or if it depends on this other thing. Um, 
But then, yeah, with the architect, it's like, definitely, if that would seems like you would want an architect who knows how to write code. For me, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I, really I haven't do. worked with one who doesn't, um, so. Yeah, okay, so there's another thing uh, that people disagree, and it was, it was really weird because the architect that doesn't write code is the one that said architects should also have the responsibility of mentoring like the junior devs and mid-level devs really any dev on design patterns and best practices and stuff but i'm like how do you do that without writing code yeah that's very strange the uh this one architect i worked with who was highly knowledgeable and like just from looking at the system he designed i learned so much and i took so much away from that position with me uh he was like oh yeah just be curious like i'm not here to teach you anything and it's like the how those two roles worked uh and then their philosophy on how you disseminate that knowledge to the rest of the team just seemed to be reversed and i don't know uh, so we've totally switched off of product ownership yeah. having well I, I i we can go back on that for a moment okay that, yeah that, i don't mean to do the hard switch because i'm very interested in that as well yeah yeah i think uh, both are good to but talk you know about. if you haven't finished on product ownership yeah let's let i have one more topic on product ownership that okay. i think would be cool to discuss and then we could talk about the architect thing a little bit more because sure. i think they play in together um, but as we've been talking i've kind of come to the the understanding that the perfect system is the product owner and the architect are meeting to help put in tickets that are user stories or tech data. Oh, that sounds really good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that being said, that's not always going to happen because architects are expensive. Yeah. Uh, some of the highest paid, one of the highest paid positions in, you know, the engineering uh, career track. So <laughs> not every company is going to hire an architect, mm-hmm. let alone a dedicated architect. Yeah. But that does sound like a good, a good system there. Okay, I'm sorry. Uh, I keep interrupting. <laughs> no, uh, no, go, you're go good. back to what you want to talk about with product owners. Yeah, yeah. So I, th- I thought of another um, kind of another way to discuss that. So because we're talking about um, customer feedback, kind of product owners writing user stories based on um, what they want done, not how to do it. Um, it should be like, uh, uh, what's it called? Like black box type? Is that what? Black box, like black box testing. Yeah, but like they don't, they don't have, they don't care about what's going on inside. They just want to see the result. Yeah, yeah, that's a black. That's what you'd consider a black box, where you don't know what went on in the system. You just saw what went in, what went in, and what came out. So that's kind of like a product owner. You say like what you want the result to be. Here's the result. But what about um, what about products that don't have a UI products that aren't necessarily for a customer. They're like some sort of internal thing, like the project we worked on together where it's just an intermediary. It's like a big piece of code and it, it doesn't have anything to do with like immediate customer satisfaction. Every single ticket is just some sort of tech debt thing. (laughs) Do, do you need a product owner? I mean, you do, right. But in that case, they have to be technical, right? Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a really special case. Um, so for uh, I'm going to skirt that and go to another uh, application I worked on. Uh, this, this was at Trader Interactive is their ETL platform. Uh, and th- there was no 
external consumers or customers of this platform. Uh, it was only internal services that took that. So uh, well, what happened was a bunch of data was ingested from dealers for trucks and motorcycles and RVs and stuff. And then it went through the ETL platform, which did some enrichment and massaging of the data. So it was in the right formats, uh, et cetera, et cetera, typical ETL stuff. And then it published it to an API, which was then queried for the various sites. And so technically the only people that used that were the API developers within the company. Mm -hmm. Uh, And in that case, like, do you need product ownership? Technically, yeah, because... Mm -hmm. Uh, and really how that worked is you had the, the product owner uh, from whichever site would be consuming it telling us like this is what the ETL platform needs to send um, and they didn't really have product owners uh, at the time for us it was project management kind of doing a dual role mm-hmm. uh, and so they, they also got to talk with like the business development people who were like well this is how this customer uh, is going to be providing data. Uh, and so that's how we got the inputs outputs um, for for product. And in that case, yeah, you absolutely need uh, 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 some sort of product ownership. Or Okay, let's be honest. You don't ever need product ownership. It just helps a lot. It's very um, good. Or at least someone has to pretend to be the product owner. <laughs> right, yeah. Somebody, like someone on the somebody has to own the product. Yeah. It's very important for a successful product. Yeah. I guess, like, the one we worked on, that was kind of internal. We didn't really... Yeah. We had... We basically just had an architect, which mm-hmm. that that worked fine. Because it... But it's still... I still think that having a product we, owner and an architect... Yeah, but... So we had an architect that was architecting a system to translate from a system designed by a different architect to talk to a system designed by a team of different architects. Yeah, that was um that was not really user facing at all. It, in fact, this thing was meant to be completely invisible. Mm-hmm. Uh and that one I don't know what exactly should have been done. Um like the scope that this thing had to cover was far too large for a single architect, of course. Uh, and I'm saying like the full life cycle from the three things with different architects mm-hmm. uh, for a single product owner um, to handle that seems uh, too much, but it also kind of fits in that window that that ETL platform I worked on yeah. did where uh you could have a product owner for each of the the three things that were involved and those product. So there's a thing called scrum of scrums. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's when you have these cross-functional teams that are all going to have their own scrum process. But when uh, system A is relying on system B or, you know, whatever, uh, that needs to be communicated in the scrum of scrums where you divvy out. These are the things that have to get done in this order and so we are prioritizing them this way for the the, the sub scrum or the team scrum. Mm. Um, and so in that case, yeah, I think product ownership in that way, doing a scrum of scrums would probably have eased some of the pains we had. Um, but it, it was such a highly technical 
Yeah, they have to have a technical because if you have to if you're figuring out like the order that these different pieces need to be created. Well, the the architects would have been involved as well. Yeah, you need you need someone technical helping run it. Yeah, and that's oh my god, that's such a specific use case. Yeah, well, I mean, it was fun. It was a great time. But it's it's similar to the internal API thing that you were talking about, where um, I mean, there's no there's no customer facing the the product owner just needs to um, know what inputs or outputs are necessary, and it's still mildly technical, um, even just like knowing how API response codes work or like how um, how the request might maybe how well you, the, I guess the product owner would say how it should be formatted and. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so it, it's a little bit of technical. It's actually interesting that we, we've come to this question cause I'm actually working on a team now, uh, that is essentially an ETL platform again, uh, that has no external customer facing stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. we take things in from data science and we do some data enrichment and we output that to a research team. And there is no product ownership involved. Uh, And in this case, there's not really project management involved. There is engineers and engineering management, Mm. uh, which leaves me in the role of being product owner. So you're writing tickets. Is everybody writing tickets? Yep. So we write tickets. We go through the the scrum process, uh, but we're also responsible for like the, communication with the other teams to uh to uh find out requirements like what do you need what are you giving us wow uh and and it kind of reminded me of uh something that uh a company i interviewed with did uh and i I wish i could remember exactly the the phrase they used to describe it uh but it's (sighs) feature ownership basically uh so if if you're taking in this particular set of data and you're doing all of the work through the etl platform and then giving it to this other team uh, that is your feature and you take ownership of that entire feature from its planning its design its implementation uh to ideally eventually its death Mm -hmm. uh where you don't need this product anymore. So you uh, basically switch the feature off. You remove the code from the code base uh, and you you have a single engineer that owns that responsibility. Uh, And I've only only been doing it about a month and a half at this point, but I'm actually kind of enjoying it. Hmm. I have my frustrations with it, but see, now I'm switching my opinion again. I guess product owners should be technical so they can do that. I, I yeah, don't have I a good answer. Well, I hadn't um, heard of that process. I think that's pretty interesting. Um, the fe- Well, I'd heard a little bit about feature ownership, but uh, that, like, to replace a product owner, I hadn't really heard of. It, it yeah. seems a little bit strange that, like, every, every single meeting um, that you're having, it's like, if it's a meeting about the whole product, it's like you kind of all got to be there because nobody knows what kind of questions they're going to ask about what features or if somebody has a, que- a question about a specific feature, it's like the whole team has to fa- ask each other, who did this part? Who did this part? Instead of there's just being that one point of contact, it seems a little bit um, 
uh, I, I like inefficient, but I like the conversation it works best for an internal only uh, app like That's, that. Yeah. Uh, public facing. You definitely don't want customers talking to engineers. That's, That's a good point. That's a recipe yeah. for disaster. Uh, so I'm not advocating for that at all. But for an internal product, I, I've, I've been kind of enjoying it. Um, yeah. Ask me in a month okay, <laughs> or yeah. two. See if I still enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I still mm. have no idea if product ownership should have technical well, expertise. I think so. I think a a good um, conclusion for that could be it depends on the project. Some projects, a project that is completely customer facing, it is not net needed. A project that is internal and has, you know, it's the requirements are all based on APIs or um, other interfaces. Uh, maybe those a little bit of technical experience is important. So I guess maybe it kind of depends on the project. And I would say it's always preferred, except for the thing you're mentioning where a, a product owner maybe is trying to solution more than they should when they have that technical experience. So there's also um, that potential issue if a product owner has a lot of technical experience and they want to take on the architect role, kind of, um, they're trying to solution. That could be a problem. Um. Yeah. Uh, I guess if I had to leave it at, at anything, uh, what I'd leave it at is you don't have to have the technical background, like a CS degree or mm -hmm. something. Uh, or like previous experience as a software developer. Right. But you have to have the ability to learn technical concepts and communicate with highly technical people being your engineers. Uh, mm -hmm. and, and in that vein... Yeah, you do have to have some technical acumen. Is acumen the correct word? I feel like I acumen's the... I don't know. That. I believe that's the correct word. I believe I'm using it correct. I'm not an English teacher. Uh, yeah, so you got to have some technical acumen. Mm -hmm. uh, and on the other hand, I think engineers need some product acumen. Yes. Uh, and I think there's a huge gap in that area in engineer software development in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is why you see LinkedIn publish a lot of stuff and uh, some of these very successful tech entrepreneurs that are saying the most desired skill in 2019, 2020, you know, whatever given year is soft skills, communication, mm -hmm. leadership, that kind of stuff. Um, and, and being able to talk product for engineers, I think uh, you'll just increase your value. There's my little tidbit uh, on, you know, your next pay pay raise <laughs> be able to talk product yes yeah i think that's good and i mean we we touched a little bit about architects um i don't know if we want to talk about that more have a different topic where we talk more about the role of an architect and you know uh i, I think we we know an architect that would be willing to talk with us oh and yeah I, so i I'm going to defer further conversation and hopefully have another interview that yeah so that would be great <laughs> yeah uh so anyhow i i think we're gonna sum it up uh thanks for hanging out with us again yeah i hope you learned a lot if you have thoughts on product ownership having technical backgrounds or not 
uh, any experiences, uh, you heard a little bit about some of mine, uh, reach out to us. Let us know. Namespace.pod at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Yes. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. And soon YouTube. (laughs) And YouTube. Yeah. All right. Thanks for hanging out.